0: The following program is being brought to you on the Seventh Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit SeventhWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. To access inner resources to create the most productive, loving, and joyful life. Each of us needs to awaken, to explore in depth who we really are. Welcome to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. Today, we'll learn what our past lives can tell us about our present life and understand how our beliefs create our reality. Now, here is Dr. Joe Mancini.
1: Hi, you are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. I am Dr. Joe Mancini, your host for the show. I'm a certified clinical hypnotherapist and spiritual counselor in private practice in Maryland. A most hearty welcome to all of you. Before I introduce my first guest, I want to say a few words about the overall focus of the show. In various ways on this show, we will examine how to access inner resources to create the most productive, loving, and joyful life, a really wonderful goal as I see it. And to accomplish that goal, each of us needs to awaken, to explore in depth who each of us really is. And in my view, such, such exploration involves several tasks. First, each of us must come to experience himself or herself as an aspect of the divine. Second, each of us must realize all the richness of his or her multi-dimensional self. Third, Each of us must consciously and joyously claim the role of co-creator of reality with all that is. Fourth, each of us must clearly understand the role of beliefs in creating reality. And finally, each of us must develop empathy and love for his or her humanity and that of others. This series of 13 episodes will focus on what past lives can tell us about who we really are. My guests and I, will examine several related topics, such as the true nature of past lives, soul mission and karma, the multidimensional self, reincarnating soul groups, how to change past lives and soul contracts, and much, much more. A further aid to all this exploration will be the concepts about past lives and other metaphysical matters that were voiced by SET, that energy personality essence channeled by Jane Roberts from 1963 to her passing over in 1984. I am very fortunate to have as my first guest, Rich Kendall, one of the so-called New York boys who attended Jane's ESP classes in the early 70s. He has written an amazing memoir, The Road to Elmira, the first of three volumes about his experience with Seth in those classes. That book, and his new book, which he calls a a time capsule, entitled Stories I Never Told Grandma, a collage of vintage memories and soul-searching upheavals. Those books can be found on Amazon.com. So now I want to welcome you, Rich, to the show. Thank you,
2: Bill. Thank you. Good to be with you.
1: Great. Um, I'm really, really happy to have you here um, because you heard uh, Seth directly. Uh, and Jane as well. And yeah. I'm, you, dro- you drove 240 miles with a couple of other guys one way from New York to Elmira and then back again in one afternoon and then late uh, evening. Uh, why?
2: You know, I've asked myself the same question at times. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Jane was, besides Seth, Jane was also a remarkable individual. And I just want to, um, you know, put that out there right now also. And our interactions were certainly amazing in terms of dealing with Seth, but also Jane. Um, Jane had tremendous psychic ability. She was, uh, she was able to tune in to our personalities, our challenges, um, our beliefs, And she was there to help us as well. So between the two of them, it was uh, quite an experience, even though it was just one evening a week. Um, We would get there about 7 o'clock, class would begin, and it would end at about uh, 11 o'clock that evening, and we would drive back. And uh, we never knew what was going to happen each week. It wasn't like a class you were taking where, you know, you'd read a chapter beforehand. And I think that was part of the reason why we were... Uh, Prompted or had the impetus to keep going because each week was new uh, and exciting. And your memoir
1: actually um, does show how often Seth would simply turn to you um, without warning and say something to you that uh, got right to your core.
2: Exactly, exactly.
1: And one of those times, um, I believe, was when you found out about your first. Um, incarnation.
2: right. Right.
1: Can you tell us about that?
2: Sure. It was only the third class uh, I had been to and without any clue uh, he just turned to me and he said, and I'm gonna quote here, now the small but brilliant sardonic part of you was and in other terms still is a very brilliant courtesan in 16th century France who sat with the philosophers and thought they did not know what they were talking about. Since you were a woman with an excellent mind, you listened to these men who seemed to think they knew what they were talking about, and you thought they do not have the slightest idea in their heads. And yet they look at me and think I am beautiful and silly when I can think rings around them. And so you did. And in other terms, so you still do. This woman had much energy and still possesses it. And what was her name? Her name was Marguerite de Valois, though Seth did not give me that information. At that time, I discovered it uh, on my own.
1: Tell us how you do that, because that's part of the fascinating story of this.
2: Yeah. Um, I was attending an art exhibit in New York City, which was featuring uh, the Belgian artist René Magritte. And... For some reason, I just had a desire and impulse to learn more about his life. So I went to the library, and this was pre-Google days. So I looked up in the encyclopedia, Magritte. And all of a sudden, on the opposite page, I saw a name. It literally seemed to jump off the page at me. It said Marguerite de Valois, and my eyes were just drawn to it. And there was just a small blurb about her. It said she was a well-known courtesan in 16th century France. This was a few months after Seth had given me this information. Of course, I made the connection in my mind. I was very intrigued. I went back to class, you know, the next week, and I said to Seth, do you have anything to say about a Margaret, I mispronounced her name, about a Margaret de Valois? And he just gave me the oddest look, and he said, not now I don't. <laughs> and later on in the class, he just looked at me, and he corrected my mispronunciation. He said, Marguerite. And when he said that, I immediately knew, okay, you know, something is up. I've got to find out more about this woman's life.
1: And so what did you do?
2: I went to the library. um, I went to the card catalog. And actually, to my great surprise, I found many references to her. But what really, you know, sent a jolt to my psyche, uh, she had written an autobiography, her own memoir, called Secret and Historic Memoirs of the Courts of France. Oh, So I remember, you know, handing the slip to the librarian, how excited I was. was, The book was published, you know, hundreds of years ago. And I started reading it. And um, that began a long journey of of, um, exploration into her life, trying to understand how it related to my life, um, how the historical period she lived in related to the issues I was dealing with now. And really, it continues to this day, as I think you know, the interaction with all our lives do.
1: And you made a, as I recall, a comparison of her traits uh, with yours. And there were quite a few correspondences, weren't there?
2: Yeah, the, a few that, that I can tell you. One of the things that, that hit me, you know, I'm not much of a musician, but I do play guitar. And I've hired people at times to do arrangements of, of songs I write. And Marguerite played the lute, and she used to hire people to do arrangements of the songs she used to write on the lute. She also uh, loved writing poetry, which I do, and she had a passion for philosophy. And she always, one of her dreams was to open up a school where philosophy would be taught. Well, certainly one of my thoughts after the Seth classes ended was how great it would be to open up a school and have people study uh, these ideas. So, again, there were a number of, of coincidence, quote, coincidences or parallels in our personalities, uh, which I found very intriguing.
1: And I, and I know from your book that there were other um, incidents where um, uh, she came up, so to speak, uh, over the years. Absolutely. It still happens.
2: Absolutely. Um, how how
1: does that affect you?
2: it actually, it gives me, the most important thing for me, it gives me this sense that I really am, that all of us are so much more than we think we are, you know. Uh, again, the, the, the official view of our lives is, you know, you're born, you live a certain amount of years, you die, and uh, that's the end of it. Or if you're religious, maybe you think you go to heaven, or maybe you think you don't. But when I'd have events like this, I would sense, I would feel that there was this interaction continuing that we really were multi-dimensional creatures. Yes. With all different aspects to us that were progressing in their own way and yet at the same time connected with us. So uh, again it would just give me this feeling of being so much more, you know, as a consciousness and as an identity.
1: And there there was a feeling of meaningfulness, wasn't there, that it's it's one, meaningfulness is one of the things that keeps people going through difficult times, and it seems that meaning, uh, that your life had enormous meaning, um, multiple aspects of meaning, that uh, probably made you feel very good, given, as you say in the book, um, how you were 19 years old when you first um, went to... I, was it 19
2: when you went to see Jane? I was, uh, let's see, I was, it was 22. 22. Yeah.
1: Um, but you had described yourself as um, lacking direction, you, had, you were a hippie, and you right. had um, long hair, as you said, and mm. you had experiment, experimented with drugs. Um, mm. So this provided some guidance and meaning, did it not?
2: Absolutely. Uh, very good point. I think, you know, in in terms of of the inspiration to go there to begin with, or or the inspiration for anybody to search, you know, for for answers in their lives, is this sense you want to feel that that your life has meaning, that there's some kind of meaning and order in the universe, that your actions uh, just don't disappear, and that your consciousness doesn't just disappear. And The interactions and and the events I would have with various, uh, quote, past lives would give me the opposite of that feeling, would give me the feeling that, you know what, there really is a meaning and an order in this universe, and there's an importance to every one of our lives, there's an importance to every one of our actions, and we're much more than what we just see in the mirror, you know, when we wake up.
1: And what other use is there for accessing past lives? Um, You talked once about um, being a warrior during the time of Genghis Khan.
2: Right, the Mongolian warrior. The
1: Mongolian warrior. Yeah. And and you explained one of the uses of being able to access past lives. Yeah,
2: I, I, I think, you know, I still think about that and I still try to understand it. I think one of the, the, the uh, benefits is you can develop an empathy for other people or other cultures or, or situations that you might not have before. Uh, just to give a very simple example, uh, not from my own experience, but a generic example, um, let's say you get in touch with a, with a past life of yours where you were very poor your whole life. You know, Maybe in this life you've done very well financially this will allow you to develop, if, if you let it, a certain empathy and a certain understanding for those who are poor now that you might not have otherwise. So I think it expands your, your ability to, to empathize, to relate to others, and to understand others, as well as, of course, understand yourself.
1: Uh, yeah, That's a, a great asset. <laughs> yeah. There's also another one when you said you called upon um, the... Uh, strength of that Mongolian warrior.
2: Yeah, it, 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 you know, using uh, him as an example, and I'll just tell you quickly because it was kind of a fun incident how I came across that. Um, I was in a dream, it was a very brief dream, and Jane was sitting across from me in the dream, in a chair, and all of a sudden her face started to transform into this very fierce looking, and I just knew it was Mongolian, this Mongolian warrior. She had a sword in her hand, a very thick mustache, and I could sense this intense energy that surrounded this man. I just stared at him. I was almost in shock, and I said, Jane, one of your incarnations is showing. And then this warrior image transformed back to Jane and said with a smile, no, Rich, it's one of yours. Oh, oh boy. that That really jolted me. Right. And, you know, thinking about it, though, Again, you know, this warrior even though the way he used his energy would is obviously was obviously not, you know, appropriate to say the least, but he was very confident in his energy. He wasn't afraid of his own energy. He wasn't afraid to use it. And um, you know, I'm able at times to tap into that feeling, tap into that feeling of confidence, though hopefully I'd never be using it in the way he did, um, you know, he lived by the sword. That was normal for his times, you know. So,
1: So, um, we've got just a few minutes before break. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you also if you could talk a little bit more about um, how, what reincarnates? Um, what is it that really incarnates?
2: It's a good question. Um, one of the things Seth said to me in regards to Marguerite de Valois, which really struck me, and he said this many years later, because I, I had, this was in 1979 when classes ended, and I was trying to understand this concept more myself, and he said that a correspondence exists between you and that woman now, and that correspondence creates a relationship, and that relationship in your terms, seems to bleed backwards into the past. Then he said, in whatever terms you think of it, there is a correspondence between yourself and the woman, but you are yourself now and not the woman. And I found that very intriguing.
1: And that is a very important um, concept to keep in mind because each, each incarnation is inviolate. In other words, it's... Individuality is um, never violated. It's yeah. never violated. And right. yet, and this is a constant theme in the Seth books, we are all part of each other. And so we have to have that duality. Um, it, and I don't want to use that word in any strict terms, but that sense right. of doubleness um, that we are ourselves and we are our past lives and our future lives and our parallel selves and our counterparts' selves. Well, we,
2: we need to totally expand our ideas of what identity is, is yes. the way I look at it. And we have to not be afraid that we're going to lose our identity if we allow ourselves to explore and experience these other lives, uh, probable selves, counterparts, whatever terms you want to use. I think this is a big theme, this whole concept of identity and the fear of, of losing it. And, and, it's, um, and I
1: think, think you're right, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, people are so afraid to expand their notion of the multidimensional self, because they're afraid that they will lose who they are, and Seth repeatedly says that's not going to happen. Right. And, um, yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, uh, and you know, traditional, traditional psychology, you know, if somebody shows, if somebody talks about, for instance, hearing voices or experiencing another self The immediate diagnosis is some kind of schizophrenia. So again, we've got to get new definitions, we've got to expand our ideas of what identity and consciousness is, and then I think we can grow in ways that we haven't been able to grow before.
1: Okay. We're about to take a break. You're listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe, I'm Dr. Joe Mancini, and we'll be right back with more about past lives from Rich Kendall.
0: The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Have you thought that there may be more to your life than you know? Maybe you're puzzled by coincidences that seem to happen out of nowhere. Or possibly you have a sense of deja vu in a place you have never been before. What about those dreams that seem to materialize right before your eyes? Or bring startling, clear images of loved ones who have passed over. These are only a few of the great many topics that you can find much more about by having a hypnotherapeutic session with Dr. Joe Mancini. Dr. Joe is a clinical hypnotherapist certified by many national and international hypnosis organizations. Specializing in spiritual hypnotherapy, Dr. Joe can help you discover much more of who you really are and why you came here this time around. Joe's clients repeatedly emphasize his vast spiritual knowledge, amazing skills, and great heart. He establishes a safe, caring environment in which individuals feel free to be all that they are. Call Joe at 301-526-2043 or reach him by email at soulserver at erals.com to find out more. That's 301-526-2043 or by email at soul, S-R-V-R, at erols.com. Be visionary. Be extraordinary. Be the change. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. To reach Dr. Joe Mancini or his guest, please call into our program at 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email to soulserver at Errols.com. That's soul, S R V R at erals, E-R-O-L-S, dot com. Now, back to Explorations in Consciousness.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Uh, this is Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. And we're talking with Rich Kendall, one of the New York boys who attended Jane Roberts' classes, ESP classes, in the, in the early 1970s. And we're talking about reincarnation. So, Rich, uh, I'd like us to go um, to that time when... Jane started singing Samari, which okay. I was pleased to find out uh, is one way to help people access past lives. Yeah.
2: Samari, let me just preface this a little bit. Sure. Um, Samari was a, um, what Seth called a trance language, though he said it ne- had never officially been spoken by any group of people. And the idea was Jane would sing and you were supposed to let yourself be carried along by the sounds. And let whatever emotions or images came come up, you know, to receive them. And one of the interesting things, Jane never had any musical training, and the uh, abilities, the vocal abilities she displayed while singing Samari were truly phenomenal. You would have to be like a trained singer of many years to be able to attain the vocal range and the clarity that she had. So that in itself was, was intriguing. Yeah. And um, one small aside thing before I get to the, to the other story. Uh, Jane, as many people know who have followed the Seth material, had struggled with uh, arthritis for many years. She could never, she couldn't even lift her, her arm above her head. Maybe she could lift it a little bit to her shoulder, and that was it. That's how stiff her joints were. Um, one evening while singing Samari, she lifted both arms completely over her head to the amazement of everybody. When she came out of trance, we told her what had happened. She tried to do it again and she couldn't do it. Her body went right back to the uh-huh. to the memory, to the feeling of, of her joints being stiff. But again, the implications for what happened there, and I think there's implications within hypnosis also, of what happens when the mind can release its normal focus and and um, become involved in alternative uh, focus, um, some amazing things can happen. And,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And I can certainly confirm that uh, about yeah. hypnosis. Yeah. So tell us about that wonderful that okay. which was, was quite it, funny as yeah. well as very serious.
2: Well, this was actually my first class. So I had no idea what to ex- expect. I had never been to a medium before. I got to Jane's apartment, um... I parked myself in the back of the room and I just kind of sat quietly to observe. And one of the fellows in class that evening, uh, a, a young man named Fred, for some reason, every time he spoke, I had this really adverse reaction. I was feeling like tremendous hostility towards him. I had never met Fred. He seemed like a pleasant fellow. I just couldn't figure out why I was feeling that way. And I thought that, you know, I was keeping it to myself when all of a sudden, Somebody else in class, this wasn't Jane, it was another class member, looked at me and said, why is Ray on trial? And I just kind of (laughs) looked back. I didn't have any idea how to respond to this. And then it ends up, somebody else then said, why are you feeling all this hostility towards Fred? So there wasn't a lot of ways you could remain private in that class. If Jane or Seth didn't catch you on something, someone else would.
1: No matter how far... no matter how far b- uh, back you sat,
2: you exactly, were, yeah, you couldn't you hide. were seen. Couldn't, you couldn't hide. hide. It's a very, <laughs> very good way to put it. Very good way to put it. And of course, my immediate reaction was going was to go into total denial mode and say, "I'm not feeling any hostility towards you know f- towards you know Ray. I don't know why you're why you're saying that." You know. Upon that, Jane went into her trance, started singing in Samari and motioned both of us to come up and stand alongside her. She put, clasped, raised hands and my hands together and started singing in Samari. And again, this was the first time I heard Samari too. So I had no idea really what was going on. But as she was doing this, my anger towards Fred started to dissipate. And at one point I smiled at him as if to say, okay, you know, I don't feel angry towards you anymore. But secretly I still was feeling angry. And at that moment, Jane like vigorously shook our hands and you know increased the volume of her singing. And all of a sudden I finally, you know, dropped the anger. I went and sat back down, and it ends up many people in the class, including Jane, had images of this fellow Ray and me uh, in another time and place. And I was a judge, and Ray was on trial for some kind of sexually immoral act. And I had meted out a very severe sentence to him. And in a sense, I had made him outcast in society. And they were picking up, you know, all these same images as the Sumeri were singing. So, um, you know, I had a lot to think about as I sat down at that point.
1: Yes, you did. And so tell tell us what happened next, because... Well, quite, so often, quite often, something that Seth says in one session will be picked up again uh, in another session. Right.
2: Go well, ahead. A couple of things. Um, first of all, on the way home that night, my, my friend Jeffrey was in the car with me. He said, I was amazed when you were singing along with the Samari. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, when you were singing along with the Samari. I honestly had no recollection of it whatsoever. And, you know, again, I must have been in my own type of trance state without uh, even realizing it. So that's just a little aside, you know. Mm-hmm. But to carry it further, how, how, you know, past lives interact with present lives and how certain themes um, we explore throughout, you know, throughout time, you know, Fred Ray. I'm going to use his name, Ray. Also happened to be homosexual, and I have a feeling that part of the the, the way I judged him years ago and the sexually immoral act had to do with his uh, homosexuality.
1: Mm-hmm. Now,
2: to tie it into things in this life, there were points in my life when I was younger where I felt very unsure about my sexuality. I think I had leanings, you know, in both directions. It could have gone both ways, you know. And I struggled with that and certain events came from that which also tied in, you know, to to um to the whole incident with uh, Fred. And one of them was, you know, again, I was trying to to find a way to resolve these sexuality questions for myself. But I wasn't able to face them directly. I mean, I was at that point in my life, 15, 16 years old. It was really too much for me to, to, to be able to, you know, openly and honestly within myself face it. So on other levels, I created events, created an event where I would, quote, be forced into dealing with this issue further. And without going through the whole story, when I was about 16 years old, I had a very unpleasant experience where I was raped by an older man. But and one of the things that happened during this, I asked him his name and very cryptically, he said to me, just call me justice. Amazing. Which I thought, again, afterwards with my Sethian background, you know my mind was tying, beginning to tie all these things together and, and to understand again that, that issues that, that we deal with in one life, we deal with all, we deal with in all our lives. And, um, thank God for the Seth material. Cause I was able to look back on this and able to, to sort of assimilate the experience in a way that it wasn't so painful for me and I wasn't so judgmental upon myself or, Judgmental uh, on this other person, and you—you
1: you had said in the book something uh, in, along those lines that was incredibly remarkable, but follows the Seth um, material um, to a T. And that is, you t- you said that you took responsibility for your part in creating that situation with
2: the rape. Yeah. I think there was—I think there was a—I don't think I know there was a point during the evening because he invited me back to his house part of me knew you know we always have this part of us i think that knows more than we consciously allow ourselves to know i knew the possibilities that 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 were there uh if i acquiesced to going back to his apartment but i tried to block it out and you know i just went there and what happened happened but again later on i was able to realize and and what helped me make peace with the event was instead of feeling like this victim, I was able to look at it and say, okay, you know, you know, you played a part in this because there was always that moment you could have said no and rejected the experience. And one of the points of this is I think, unfortunately, when we're not willing to face our beliefs openly and consciously, I think often we create events to, to uh, push us to then resolve certain issues or explore certain issues further, which is why beliefs are so important. You could save yourself a lot of trouble by trying to deal with your beliefs first on a conscious level.
1: Well, I want to say that I think it took a remarkable act of courage to um, look at that uh, rape in Sethian terms, in terms of we create our own reality. Uh, And Seth said many times. Uh, There are no exceptions to that. Everything that comes to us, we have created or co-created. And it takes a tremendous amount of courage to face that um, idea. Go
2: ahead. It's also very hard. I mean, again, you know, one of the things that I feel strongly about in terms of spirituality or explorations, you have to be honest with yourself um, on a lot of levels. Otherwise, you can't really grow. And... You know, again, to be honest, the whole concept of creating your own reality, it's a tough concept to wrap your intellect around. It's a tough concept for for me to this day. Uh, That doesn't stop me from exploring it. But I'm saying, you know, it's something I understand people can have real difficulty with. You know, you talk to someone who's suffering from some difficult disease, it's pretty hard for them to look at themselves and say, oh, I guess I created this. Or some horrendous events or... You, look, you read in the newspaper about an airplane crash. Part of me sits back and goes, you mean every one of those people somehow knew beforehand the, the possibility of them dying? It's difficult. So I understand people's resistance to, to, um, to that concept.
1: It is very difficult, and I've been reading this material for 35 years, um, mm-hmm. yeah. and I still, like you, um, have to struggle with that concept every day. But when I do uh, face that and ask myself, so I wonder why I created this, I always find a way out of the dilemma. And one of the things I think that people have a lot of trouble with, with this notion of creating your own reality, is that it feels like it's blaming the victim.
2: So can you speak to that? Yeah, I I think it's a very, I think it's a very good point, an important point, point. You know, Seth never introduced this concept with the idea of us blaming us, blaming ourselves for events we weren't happy with. Matter of fact, he did exactly the opposite. And if I could use the word judge again, he would always be telling us not to judge ourselves so harshly that we should look at all of this as a challenge, look at these events, look at the problems in our lives. If we could view them as challenges, as learning experience experiences, we would do much better. But unfortunately, it's very normal because of the way we're brought up in our society, you know, the whole blame game. And we do it with ourselves to a great extent, and it's very, very detrimental. And it's one of the things I still work with, and when I find myself being too hard on myself, I try to pull myself out of it and go, you know, that's not the point of this, to blame yourself. It's to look at what's going on and to try to learn from it.
1: And I would go um, a step further with that. What I often tell people... Um, when I'm trying to explain this, is that if you accept that you create all of your reality, then you can change it. Good point. If you feel yourself to be a victim, that you you haven't created this or that, you cannot change it. Very
2: excellent point. Yeah. Good point. Is, is there is, anything more you can add to that? Well, I think it's it's really, you know, uh, it's the ultimate empowering, you know, concept of, of the Seth material, you know, And um, if your reality in any way was going to be controlled by some outside force, well, that knocks the whole concept down. You know, there's there's nothing left, you know. Either we live in an accidental universe or we don't. There's really no in-between, you know. You have to accept full responsibility for the events or you have to go back to the idea we live in a random universe where, you know, anything could happen at any point. And I really don't want to adopt that philosophy in my life
1: and Seth, some, Seth often said something else that um, people find controversial, but it relates to what you just said, and yeah. that is that we live in a safe universe
2: yeah
1: and could you say a little bit about that
2: It's very controversial and and you know again, it's something that that I still work with because I work with all of these ideas, you know these ideas are are, are, are you know huge concepts, and there's no point at least for me, that I could sit back and say, okay, I got it, I understand it, you know, end of story. I think the story always continues. But I think one of his main points was that regardless of what you see going on around you, all the violence, the war, the murder, disease, whatever, you know, just read the headlines each day, that your universe, your personal universe is safe and can be safe. And I think that was one of the main points. I think there's more to it, but I'm still working with that. You know, what does it mean? What does safety really mean? Um, even if you are sick, does that mean you're not safe? Even if you do have problems or, you're, or are poor or whatever, does that mean you still don't live in a safe universe? So there's more to that concept that, than meets the eye.
1: It is a, it's a very difficult concept. Um, and yet, as Seth often says, if you believe that, with your whole being, not just with your intellect, but with your heart, your soul, uh, if you have a visceral sense of that, that will create safety for you. Most of us often um, believe in these concepts more from an intellectual level, um, but we don't really feel it that concept all the way through. And that would create a revolution in our lives and in the world if many people were to um, believe that.
2: It would create an entirely new world. I mean, you know, if, you, if everybody believed, I mean, the people, you know, stockpile weapons, start wars, create violence, all from the original belief they don't live in a safe universe. But what they don't realize what they're doing is they're compounding and reinforcing that whole idea all of their actions you know they're okay. just making it into a reality exactly And okay we have to that's take that's another break no problem
1: you are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe and I'm Dr. Joe Mancini and we'll be right back with more from Rich Kendall The
0: 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Have you thought that there may be more to your life than you know? Maybe you're puzzled by coincidences that seem to happen out of nowhere. Or possibly you have a sense of deja vu in a place you have never been before. What about those dreams that seem to materialize right before your eyes? or bring startling, clear images of loved ones who have passed over. These are only a few of the great many topics that you can find much more about by having a hypnotherapeutic session with Dr. Joe Mancini. Dr. Joe is a clinical hypnotherapist certified by many national and international hypnosis organizations specializing in spiritual hypnotherapy. Dr. Joe can help you discover much more of who you really are and why you came here this time around. Joe's clients repeatedly emphasize his vast spiritual knowledge, amazing skills, and great heart. He establishes a safe, caring environment in which individuals feel free to be all that they are. Call Joe at 301-526-2043 or reach him by email at soulserver at erals.com to find out more. That's 301-526-2043. Or by email at Seoul SRVR at com. The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Listen for exclusive clips from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday series on Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America 7th Wave channel. Then be sure to watch Oprah's Super Soul Sunday on OWN Network TV at 11 a.m. 10 Central every Sunday. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Everyone is eligible for RX Savings Plus. There's no age or income restrictions and no paperwork. Simply print a card and start saving on your prescriptions. Start saving today. Enroll and print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word talk radio to 960. 960- Three six two. The Voice America Seventh Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. You are listening to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. To reach Dr. Joe Mancini or his guest please call into our program at 1-866-472-5795. That's one 472 5795 You may also send an email to soulserver at Errols.com. That's soul, s r v r at erals, E-R-O-L-S, dot com. Now, back to Explorations in Consciousness.
1: Okay, we're back. Um, where this is Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. I'm Dr. Joe Mancini, and we're talking with Rich Kendall about reincarnation. Rich, I want to read a quote from Seth and have you uh, comment on it. Sure. So here it goes. You are not, therefore, at the mercy of any neurosis from a past life, nor nor are there any fears from your present lives you cannot conquer. I have not said that you will necessarily conquer them, but it is within your ability to do so. The decision is yours according to your understanding. You cannot be hounded from one level of reality to another by a fear that you do not understand. You cannot be threatened in this life by fears from your early childhood or by your so-called past existences unless... You so thoroughly believe in the nature of fear that you allow yourselves to be conquered by it. Each of your personalities are free to accept and develop from the miraculous banks of reality those experiences and emotions that you want and to reject those that you do not want.
2: It's a great quote. (laughs) I've heard it before. Yes, I'm sure you have. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the the, the phrases that Seth used to use, and he used in the books a lot, was your point of power is in the present, and I think that's a very, you know, powerful idea to think about, and that kind of, you know, answers the question of, you know, are you at the mercy of events from past lives, or, you know, your early life here, your childhood, um, do you need to be punished for things you've done in the past, all of that? And again, you know, his whole concept was in each moment, in a sense, we're reborn and we're new and we're innocent, he always used to say. And again, the experiences you want to have, you'll choose to have, but not those experiences won't occur because of some events that happened either uh, earlier in this life or in any other life.
1: Well, this is extremely important because I often uh, have to encounter people who have a conventional notion of karma, mm-hmm. um, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and that sort of thing, okay. that you have to pay for things that you've done in a past life. Mm-hmm. And what I tell people is that karma doesn't exist because, for one reason, because outside of this time-space continuum, there is no time. And cause and effect, which is what karma is about, um, can't exist when there's no time because cause comes before effect. So what's really happening, um, and I want your comments on this, what's really happening is that we are making choices about what we want to learn. And there's something that he keeps talking about called value fulfillment, which is the inherent impulse in everything – uh, including subatomic p- particles, to be all that it can be in every dimension right. of reality, yeah. so that we choose things that seem like we're choosing um, because uh, because of something we did in a past life. We're not choosing for that reason. We're choosing because we want to see the other side right. of whatever we did.
2: Right. What, well, what do you say about you know, that? Uh, official ideas. Uh, again, one of the um, issues challenges that I think a lot of people face who certainly get involved with the Seth material is we're constantly barraged by what Seth used to call the official line of consciousness, ideas that go completely counter and opposite to what Seth was teaching. And one of those ideas, whether it's in the guise of, of, of karma or traditional religion, is you must be punished for the sins, you know, you commit. One way or another, you must pay a price, you know. And first of all, Seth was trying to get us to completely uh, view the whole idea of sin in, in a new way with the idea being we're not sinners. We're just beings who are choosing various experiences. And to put these labels of, of sin or evil on them is to do ourselves a disservice. And the whole concept of needing to be punished for you know misdeeds or what you think of as misdeeds in the past or in this life, all that does, again, is just limit your value of fulfillment, limit your ability to grow, limit your joy. It, it's an incredibly, uh, incredible waste of time, really, You know, to, to punish yourself for su- all these supposed misdeeds.
1: And what's inter- interesting about all of this is that Jane herself struggled for many, many, many years with the concept of the sinful self. Yeah, and yeah. Seth would talk to her... Um, countless times about letting go of those beliefs that were so ingrained in her childhood uh, by certain uh, elements from the Catholic Church and her and her um, parents, that sort of thing. So she... One of the things I really admired about the Seth books uh, and Jane and Robb is that they told us about their own struggles.
2: Exactly. Because like just,
1: yeah, just because she was channeling Seth didn't mean that she did everything, quote unquote, right. She well, had to struggle with her beliefs as well.
2: Right. And their integrity and honesty along those lines is a huge point. And, and connected to that, had they tried to to present themselves as gurus or masters, um, I never would have been back to that class because, you know, that just wouldn't have appealed to me. But they didn't do that. They allowed themselves to show their their vulnerability, their humanity. And the last thing they wanted to do, uh, Jane once said to us, and I know it was, and I know it's true, she said if she wanted to, she could have had all of us just wrapped around her finger. And she could have, you know, through Seth, through her own personality. But she said one of the challenges in this life for her in particular was not to use her energy in that way. And she did a beautiful job along those lines because her point was to always send us back to ourselves. And that's one of the things that, for me, distinguish, you know, the Seth material from sometimes other philosophies that I don't necessarily have so much respect for, you know. I, I, anybody who tries to set them up, set themselves up as a master or a god or a guru, uh, I usually just run for, for the hills, you know, when I encounter that. But Jane and Rob did not do that.
1: And I'm the same way. I... You know, it's, it's not something I want to be an ad- adherent to. Let me quote a Seth quote sure. from your book that speaks to this. Sure. He says, Now, I am pleased that you sit and wait for me with such great attention. I would be much more pleased, however, if you waited for yourselves with as great attention. And if you have listened to your own voices with as much attention as you pay to mine. It wasn't just Jane who kept telling people they needed no. to pay attention. It was Seth himself to pay I, attention I lo- to their own selves.
2: I love that quote. And again, you know, the whole point, it's kind of ironic. I, I, I Again, it's ironic to think to myself, well, these years later, you know, I traveled, you know, 240 miles there and back for approximately seven years to get the message that I should be looking to myself, you know. <laughs> I could have saved a lot of time on the road, you know. But I guess I I needed that at that point. But that is really the cornerstone of Seth and Jane's philosophy, that the answers to to our challenges, to our questions, are within ourselves. That doesn't mean other people can't help us. That doesn't mean we can't help each other. But it means ultimately you have to look to yourself for the answers, for the knowledge, and the answers and the knowledge are within yourself. So this is something you should be you know joyful about feel exhilarated about you don't need to set up authority figures outside of your own psyche
1: great I think we have time for a brief call um, from one of the listeners Robert from Virginia are you there hello hi welcome to the show
2: hi thank you for having me
1: Um, hello Rich and Dr. Joe you guys are doing a, um, a wonderful presentation I just had a, you know,
2: quick question, a couple questions. Um, I wanted to know your thoughts on uh, channelers and when they are channeling and the messages
1: that they are providing, how much of these messages are influenced by their own ego? It, it's,
2: a, it's a very interesting question and um, something I've thought about a lot because after Jane died... Uh, a lot of people came forth and started channeling. Uh, A number of them said they were channeling for Seth. Some said they were speaking for Jane. But the phenomenon continues, and, you know, often you're faced with the idea, well, how do you know, you know, what is genuine, what isn't genuine? Um, Ultimately, the only answer I can give is you have to go with your own gut instincts. Um, Seth actually addressed the idea of distortion and said, there was going to be some distortion in the material because it's coming through another human being. It's coming through layers of her personality, with her prejudices, with her limiting beliefs, and that it was inevitable. And I guess I thought that was very honest. Um, Other people at times who channel um, don't approach it, I feel, as honestly. Maybe there's some self-delusion involved. I don't know. But um, ultimately, as a listener, you know you just have to go with your own beliefs as to how much is distorted and how much is true. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, okay. We
1: have a very uh, a very quick question.
2: Okay. Um, very quick. All right. How about how about this?
1: Have you read, have either of you ever heard of the notion that um, sin? may be interpreted as sign, actually mathematical
2: the the trigonometry sign born into sign, into time,
0: rather than original sin. Have you is that something yeah. that you guys are familiar with or
2: No, I'm, I'm not, not. not familiar with it, but I like it a lot better than <laughs> I'll go for it <laughs> than the traditional uh, definition. It's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you very Thank much. Thank
1: you, Robert, very much. Well, unfortunately we are coming to a close for today and I want to thank you rich Kendall for taking the time to talk to us about Seth, his concepts about past lives and the impact on your life of being with Seth and Jane in those old early days of the ESP class. I only wish I could have been there with you. (laughs) Thank you so much.
2: It was a pleasure.
1: This is, um, Dr. Joe Mancini, your host for Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe, I'd like you to really consider tuning in next week when I will have as my guest several people who have done past life regressions with me, uh, both group and individual. And we will be talking about uh, how I do past lives, um, what you might want to look for in a regressionist. The uh, guests will tell us some of their stories about their experiences with past lives. And we'll talk about um, the tips that you might want to have in order to have a successful past life regression. Because some people um, have certain blocks and they're pretty common. Um, We're going to be talking about those blocks and finding ways um, to get beyond them uh, so that you can have a very successful. Um, past life regression. Uh, And you will be fascinated by what some of these people will be saying about their past lives and the effects of those past lives on their current lives. So I want to uh, thank all of you for tuning in. I had a great time and I hope you did too. Um, And I know Rich did as well. And I want to say, may the peace of all that is be with you in every moment. Thank you for listening and a hearty good day to all of you.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Explorations in Consciousness with Dr. Joe. Please join us again next Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We'll offer another enlightening program next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding
1: program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio.